you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at renovatuschurch.com. If you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message. You can open your Bibles up to the book of Matthew chapter 2 if you have them. If not, we'll have it on the screen. It's no problem. Real quick, for those who are interested, and I'll share a little bit more about this later on at the end of service, <clears throat> but uh, we have officially launched our church app, and so you can find that now on uh, the app store if you have Apple. It should also be on the Android store. I, have, I don't have an Android device, so I haven't searched and confirmed, but I think we have some with Android that do have it. All right, getting some thumbs up. Uh, so this is going to be a great tool for us in the future uh, and now in the present. So uh, if you'd like to download that, feel free to pull out your phone and do so. And I'll share a little bit more after service about um, during our announcement time about all the really wonderful things you can do uh, through the church app. But if you'd like to have it today, you can because there's actually a function on the app where you can open up a Bible and read it. So... Um, you can use that for your Bible reading this morning. <clears throat> it is Epiphany Sunday. Uh, I was already asked this morning, what in the world does that mean? Somebody discovered, looking through the lectionary, uh, that it was Epiphany Sunday. And uh, typically, you don't have Epiphany this early. It just so happened the way that it fell. Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas. It just so happened that it fell uh, this Sunday. Normally, we will be having the second Sunday of Christmas on the Christian calendar. But this year, it just so happens that there is no second Sunday of Christmas because Epiphany happens first based on the way things worked out for the day. Um, Epiphany is a day in which we commemorate the visit of the what you might have grew up thinking of as the three wise men or the magi that come and bring gifts to Christ. And there's some theological significance behind all of that, which we'll try to unpack a little bit this morning. Um, so let's read Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1. The lectionary stops at verse 12. Uh, I want to go through verse 15, because I think it's relevant, especially for the season which we find ourselves in. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him... <clears throat> In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out. 
And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. We sang a song this morning that talked about going from the head to the heart. That's kind of the way the uh, sermon's going to flow this morning a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Epiphany, and then the uh, second half of the sermon this morning, just share some of my um, musings and reflection, reflections from this particular passage. Um, one of the great things about preaching lectionary is that every week we stand in unity with churches all over the world that are preaching the same text. Uh, not only that, we stand with churches all over the world who are following the Christian calendar. And celebrating certain days and certain moments within the life of the church uh, as seen through the narrative of the Gospels. The beautiful thing about that, I think, in a season like we live in, where there seems to be so much division, is that I'm looking for any way possible, right, to be in unity with my brothers and sisters in the church. <laughs> and the lectionary is one way in which we can continue um, to pursue that kind of unity, that kind of unity that is broad and, and uh, helps us see ourselves outside of just being this one little church, right? Like that there's something bigger and greater uh, than, than, than what we do here and what we're experiencing here and what we're going through here. Now, epiphany for us, most of us who are raised in any kind of evangelical tradition is, you know, we don't really even know exactly what it is, but in other uh, traditions of Christianity, uh, it is a big deal. Epiphany in some traditions is actually bigger than Christmas. In fact, if you want to kind of see how big it is in some places, go home and Google um, uh, Epiphany in Ethiopia, for instance, and you'll see images of massive parades and big feasts that they have. In fact, in certain portions of Christianity, certain sections of Christianity, Epiphany is bigger than Christmas Day. Um, it's a much more important holiday. In fact, some traditions don't even exchange gifts until Epiphany. Uh, they wait till Epiphany to exchange gifts because it's the day in which the wise men brought gifts to Jesus and they gave their gifts to the Lord. Um, so it's a celebration. It's something to be um, remembered and thought about in the church universal, even though it may be something we in the church don't think about a whole lot. I mean, in fact, I know growing up, I didn't hear a whole lot of sermons about the wise men other than the one, wise men still seek Jesus. I think we've all heard that one, right? Okay, so that's not this sermon this morning, so go ahead and set yourself at ease. Um, 
That's not where we're going with it. Epiphany has traditionally been viewed as a way in which the church can think about God bringing salvation to the Gentiles. This is the first instance in the New Testament where Gentiles come to worship the King of Israel, uh, the Messiah. Um, it's not so much in Acts, which is where we often think of it with the visit of Cornelius or with Paul's mission in the last half of Acts. But as early as the birth narratives in the Gospels, we find God reaching out beyond the borders of Israel and calling those who are not part of the Jewish faith to see that the salvation uh, of the Lord, the salvation that has come to Israel, is for them also. And that's one way that the church has traditionally looked at it. i got to tell you, though, as I looked at this story and as I begin to ponder and think about it over and over and over again, I see that. There is definitely this message of Gentile inclusion, but I want to up the ante just a bit. It's not just about the fact that God is choosing to offer salvation to those outside of Israel. I think what we are seeing here is the power of God's expansive love. That God can't help but, in God's self, in, in God's love, in God's um, exuberant love for humankind, God can't help but show himself to everyone, everywhere, in ways that they can understand, and in ways that they can see, and in ways in which they can know God. That, that it's not just about this, uh, this little group of people located in Israel who... God is bringing salvation and he's just nice enough to allow someone else to be part of it. But that it's been God's desire from the beginning to show himself to the world. That the creator desires to know the creation. Or maybe I should say it this way. That God wants the creation to know that they can know the creator. That he can be known. That they can be in relationship with the one who has formed them and shaped them. That they can be in relationship with the one who has cast the stars in the sky, who has laid the sand uh, by the sea, who has told the waters they could stop here and come no further. That this has been God's desire from the beginning. That God is a God of revelation. That God is a God of epiphany, right? That God is constantly trying to unveil himself and show himself to us so that we can know uh, that he can be known by us. For me this week... Musing over this text has been especially helpful because it's been an exhausting week for me. My dad's been in the hospital since Monday, and so I've spent a lot of time at the hospital. Um, this is not good for pastors, but I'll go ahead and confess it to you. I'm not very comfortable in hospitals. Um, maybe some of you are that way as well. I'm good for about 15 minutes. Um, if I ever come see you in the hospital and I'm there longer than 15 minutes, consider yourself privileged because that is not something I, I typically do. Uh, there's something about the setting that is draining for me, uh, wears me out, and especially when it's someone you love, that you see suffering and you feel helpless. Um, and so for me, thinking about Epiphany was good because I was in a place, not just physically, but also spiritually and mentally, where it was kind of hard for me to see God, where it was kind of hard for me to even think about those kinds of things, right? Um, and so for me to know that God, in God's self-revealing uh, character, um, 
that God was indeed all around me, even whenever I didn't realize or see that God was there. And so my epiphanies this week came from things like nurses and doctors who showed kindness to my father and to my family, and seeing the goodness of other human beings was a way in which I had epiphanies this week. Um, So we have these ways in which this theology of epiphany permeates our theology. It's not just about wise men coming to Jesus. It's not just about Gentiles being included. It's not just about this vast, all-encompassing power and posture of God's love towards us. But it's also a reminder to us that even in the seasons where it's hard to find God or see God or know God, that God might still appear to us in ways that we don't expect, in ways that we don't anticipate. Now, within Matthew, uh, Epiphany, the story here, is actually one of several epiphanies in the birth narrative. Matthew actually has several epiphanies, and we'll talk about a couple of other ones uh, for just a moment. But you have the angel appearing to Mary, let's say Matthew and Luke, because both of them work together to give us a birth narrative. We don't have a birth narrative in Mark or John, just Matthew and Luke. In Matthew and Luke, we have a birth narrative in which angels appear to Mary, an angel appears to Mary. We have an angel appearing to Joseph. Um, we have, after the birth, we have angels appearing to shepherds, right? We have that, that's an epiphany. Um, I would consider that an epiphany if angels broke out singing all over me, right? Um, so we have these, and then we have some, some further ones, like in Luke chapter 2, we have the epiphany at Jesus' uh, circumcision and naming in which you have uh, Simeon and Anna making these prophetic utterances, these prophetic speeches. I would even consider our text from a few weeks ago in which Elizabeth's baby jumped in her womb, uh, somewhat of an aha moment, right? Uh, She had an epiphany because as Mary entered the room, there was this aha moment of, yes, the child in you is a child of promise because when you entered the room, my baby leapt inside of me. And the scripture says that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And so there's this aha moment even there. Fast forward a little bit. We have, uh, last week we read from Luke chapter 3. This is a bit of an epiphany for Mary and Joseph, where Jesus is at the temple at 12 years old teaching the scribes, and and his parents come back looking for him, and he says, where did you think I'd be? I'm about my father's business. Uh, This is where I should be. So there's this aha moment for Mary and Joseph that there's something going on in the life of Jesus that is greater than what they had imagined. We have Jesus at his baptism, another epiphany, God, uh, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, Jesus coming out of the water, God speaking a word, a promise over Jesus, you are my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, which is also an epiphany for all the baptized because God speaks the same thing over us. That we are indeed his sons and daughters, and in us God is well pleased, to which all the saints should say amen, right? Um, We have uh, the transfiguration is a much later epiphany that we find in the Gospels. Uh, So this is just one of many times in which God reveals God's self in a very unique and a very even mysterious way, ways that aren't typical, angels appearing, uh, so on and so forth. It is different here, though. It is different in that in this story, God is found not by angels or by the Holy Spirit breaking in or even by a prophet. Because as far as we can tell, uh, 
these wise men aren't coming from any place of, of understanding Jewish prophecy. Instead, what we have here is the story of some astrologers who have seen a star and have, through their studies, have determined that this star symbolizes a new king has been born in Israel. Now, let's say some things about these wise men just to clear the air a bit. First of all, we don't know how many of them there were, right? Um, we always hear three. Uh, they, brought, they brought three gifts, but we don't know how many of them that there actually were. There must have been a substantial amount of them, though, because, at least a caravan of them, because not only was Herod scared that, uh, that they had come, and, and not only did he fear what they said, but it says that all of Jerusalem, which was a fairly large city, was shaken by the visit of these wise men on search for a king. We don't know where they come from necessarily. We don't know what their names are. Of course, there's some tradition that have three names. That is, of course, assuming that there were only three. Um, but there's so much about them that we don't know. And for me, that is one thing that captivates me about this story. It's a story that is filled with mystery. It's a story also that exposes contrasting forces, especially for Matthew's gospel. And by the way, we are going to get to Luke in two weeks, just so you know. Uh, we have Epiphany and Baptism of Jesus and then Luke for the rest of the year. But in, in Matthew's gospel, we have him already contrasting kingdoms. Because Matthew's agenda is to show us that the kingdom of heaven is near. That Jesus inaugurated a new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven here on earth. Not a new kingdom, but a present kingdom here on earth now. The kingdom of heaven. And in this story, immediately you begin to see these competing kingdoms. Herod immediately, when he hears that there might be a new king in town, fearful not only that he'll lose his position because there's a new king, but also fearful that word might get back to Caesar, that people believe there's a new king in town. And his life and his position and his power are in jeopardy. And so immediately Herod goes about plotting a way to make sure he doesn't lose his power. Because the revelation of God has a way about it that it tends to strip um, human powers and even the spiritual powers of their authority. And so Herod, of course, scrambles. We see him going after the children. This is not part of our lectionary reading but he eventually goes out and has all the children uh, in that area in Judah and Bethlehem killed to make sure that, uh, or to try to ensure that the king was taken out and that there wasn't a new king. We also have in this uh, story of Matthew, we have Jesus' refugee story in which he flees to Egypt so that he's not massacred by Herod, so that he's not killed by the king. And they sneak out by night, cross the border, get over into Egypt, and they remain there. Until it's safe to come back, the narrative tells us. In this way, Matthew is establishing Jesus as, in many ways, a new Moses. Herod as a Pharaoh. We kind of see this parallel to the story of the Hebrew people. But what I want to do this morning for the next few moments of time is just really focus in on the peculiarities of the visit of these magi, these wise men. Because unlike the epiphanies we find elsewhere in the Gospels, these epiphanies to Jewish people, these Gentile astrologers, as far as we can tell, find Christ without the aid of angels or the explicit aid 
of the Spirit of God. It is through their astrology, and I know this is messes with our theology like big time, right? It is through their astrology that they come to find the Christ child. And what is God doing in all of that? Why is this very peculiar Gentile story, Gentile story of finding Christ, seeing God revealed, brought into the story, especially in Matthew, where he is pointedly trying to tell his readers that Jesus is the king of the Jews. In fact, the first verse of Matthew lays that out. Jesus, the son of Abraham, which makes him a Jew, the son of David, which makes him the king of the Jews. Why is it included in here? Why is it part of this narrative? What is the writer of Matthew trying to get at through sharing this very, very peculiar story? You see, not only is it peculiar that they find the Messiah through their astrology, but we also see this contrast not only of Herod's kingdom and a new king being in town, like these competing kingdoms, but we also see this contrast of revelation in which Herod, if you notice in the text, has to consult the scribes to even know what the scriptures say about where the king was supposed to be born, where the Messiah was to be born. The text plainly says that Herod calls for his scribes, he calls for those who know the scriptures, and he says to them, go and search the scriptures and let me know where it is that the Messiah is supposed to be born. And of course, they knew the answer. Uh, many rabbis and many scribes at that time were already teaching this, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. But isn't it interesting that someone who grew up in a Jewish family, in a Jewish nation, heck, he even had a temple named after him, doesn't even know where the Jewish Messiah is going to be born. In other words, the guy that should know the Bible didn't even know when God showed up. And the people who were reading the stars actually did know where God was. See that contrast? And what the writer is driving at here? You see, if you've been raised in traditions like I have been and have been around my whole life, we have often been told that there are only certain ways to find God. Right? I had this conversation even with my wife this week. We were talking about how some people struggle to read the scriptures. And a lot of times what we have found is when people talk about not being able to read and understand the scriptures... It's because they've been taught a certain thing about God. And then when they go to the scriptures and they can't make that fit with what they're reading, they think they're reading it wrong. Right? They think they're missing the point. What we have here, though, in Epiphany, and this is why it's such a great time to reflect on this, even if it's just once a year, is a subtle and even humble reminder that God transcends even those things. That God is even bigger than the Bible. And that even those in this story that don't know the scriptures still have a way in which God is leading them and drawing them to God's self, to Christ. What if instead of there just being a certain way in which we can know Christ and know God, what if God can be found in everything if we are willing to pay attention what if our divisions of sacred and secular are false dichotomies? 
What if God is truly all in all? And what if God is able to talk to us and to meet us in ways that we will recognize? Such as stars for astrologers. Something they knew, something they understood, something that they could grasp. You see, this is really the mystery of the gospel in my opinion. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, what Jesus, what Jesus ultimately did in many ways was he called us to see fully who God is, but not just fully who God is because we even, we even confessed it in our, uh, indirectly in our creed each time that we meet on Sunday. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human, right? And so in that paradigm of, God, of Jesus being fully God and fully human, the mystery of the gospel is, or at least one mystery of it is, is that God is calling us to see God fully in Jesus, but also to see ourselves fully in Jesus. To understand what it means to be truly human, to be God's beloved, right? Just as God declared Jesus to be his beloved, God wants us to see that we are his beloved. Amen? For God so loved the world, right? Not just Israel, not just the church, but that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. And so we have this giving of the son to us, this gift from God, this king, this Messiah, who allows us to fully see God, but also to fully see what it means to be truly human. To truly be those made and formed in the image of God. In many ways, Jesus allows us to see the nature of our creator and the nature of ourselves as God's beloved. I want to read a portion of Paul's preaching from Acts chapter 17, lest you all think I'm a heretic this morning. And I want, to, I want to just show you how Paul even gets at this in his preaching to some Gentiles who also did not really know the Jewish scriptures. We have in Acts 17 an example of a gospel message preached from pagan Gentile texts, right? Um, let's, let's look at it, starting at verse 22. Then Paul stood and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the place where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed, look at this, though indeed, he is not far from each one of us. I always cringe when people, I read a mission statement recently from a church and their mission was to find those far from God 
and bring them close. And yet we hear, here we have a reminder that God is not far from each one of us because he has created us. He is indeed the air that we breathe. It is his breath that has animated us, that has given us life. It is his word that has spoken everything into existence, right? God said, let it be, and it was. The very name of God, the very first name God ever gives his people is Yahweh, which is just a form of the verb be in Hebrew, that God just is. You can't name him with one name. You can't shape him into one idol. He's, he's more than a lion. He's more than just a lamb. He's more than just a tree or a rock or a cloud or the sun or the star. God is all in all. He is all encompassing. And there is no way, in fact, we're going to get to in just a minute. Paul says, quoting from these Greek texts, in him we move and live and have our being, right? That even those who don't know God are still swimming in God's existence. <laughs> they can't escape it. They can't get away from it because God is indeed the all in all. He is the all-encompassing force that gives us meaning in life. Our createdness comes from His creative existence as creator. And that's what Paul's driving at here because this is also some things that Greek philosophy had been trying to explore and, and deal with already. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. At no point in his sermon does Paul actually quote Jesus, but rather quotes these philosophers, these poets, and these theologians to a degree that the Greeks were familiar with. Why? Paul was quoting their guiding stars. The things that they hadn't realized it, but the things that were indeed pointing them towards a God that was greater than themselves. The unknown God they thought of him, but did not know that he could be known. This is the message of the gospel. That the God we once thought as unknowable, not only can be known, but wants us to know him wants us to be in communion with him, wants us to experience his love and the goodness that he wants to share with creation. This is the good news. Paul says, though he is indeed not far from each one of us, because we are part of the creation, he spoke with his word. We can't escape that eternal word. We live in the expressed word and breath of God. We can't outrun it, and we were never meant to. No matter how far we run, God is there. Because he is the all in all, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. The author even, the author and finisher even of our faith and trust in him. That it all comes from God. That even what we think is our response to God was God's gift to us. Even our ability to know and respond to him was from him. Given to us as an act of his good grace. And that's an unpopular message for those who think they have the power to control God's narrative for their lives and others. It's an unpopular message for those 
who think they have the power to control God's narrative for their lives and for others. It's not good news for them. But it is good news for those of us who often find ourselves on the periphery. Those who love to gaze at stars more than read Bibles. Those who seek to be known rather than to know everything. Those who seek to love rather than be right. Those who just can't seem to follow all the rules. And those who find it hard to fit in on a church pew. Epiphany is good news. Epiphany is good news. And we are invited as the church to be humble evangelists of this good news. The songs we sang this morning I thought were perfect for Epiphany. By the way, and we didn't plan this, but I had to write it down so I would remember it. As they were singing, we talked about moving from the head to the heart, which is what Epiphany is all about, right? In Acts 17, we have these Greeks who in their head know there must be something greater out there. They have an idol built to an unknown God. It's right here, but they still don't know God here. Like they don't even know that they can know God here in an intimate in an intimate and divine and spiritual way. And so the gospel is calling them from move from this headspace to this heart space. Um, we also have what we sang this morning about finding God in the open fields. Which if you read some, some uh, stories of conversion by people like um, William Wilberforce, even John Wesley, you'll discover that many of them did not really find God in a church. But many of them found God in fields looking at leaves and grass and flowers and the sky. And they might have had some influence from the church, but it was in these settings where they genuinely made a connection with their creator. Um, So we have these calls, even in our worship this morning, which I thought were great for, for Epiphany, these calls to at least wonder, to at least wonder about all the ways God may be trying to show God's self to us. And we are too prideful to see it. Humble evangelism. I think sometimes our evangelism, sometimes our evangelism is more about getting people to believe like we believe so that we're like somehow um, made to be right, right? Right? That somehow it confirms our beliefs. I feel like sometimes that's our agenda for evangelism. It's just to feel better about what we believe because we were at least able to convince somebody else to believe like we believe. But epiphany calls us to a more humble posture. That says, yes, we may be witnesses and testifiers of the good news. But only God, only God can really reveal God's self. And what we're really called to do is just to help point people towards those places and those spots and those occasions where their guiding stars are shining. And to let them know that this God can indeed be known. And that he can be known right where they are at. So we are called on this day to be open to epiphanies. 
to be open to all the ways God might be showing us God's self. To look up and to look down. To look in the darkness and in the light. To look from the mountaintops and to look even in the valley of the shadow of death and to see God in everything. For in God we move and live and have our being. God draws all men to the reality of Christ. That we are made in his image. That we are his creation. And that he loves us dearly. God draws all men. Regardless of what they may believe right now. Regardless of whether they want to have faith in God or not. Regardless of their scriptural knowledge. And even when they don't even know his name. God is calling. And that's what Epiphany is all about. A subtle and humble reminder to go out and see all the ways that God might be calling us to God's self. Amen? Stand with me. One of the mysteries and epiphanies we get to participate in each week is the table. If our musicians want to come forward and prepare for communion. You're all invited this morning to receive communion. We have open table here, which, we, which means we believe that there is enough room at God's table for you, no matter where you find yourself, whether you're one of those that's full of faith this morning or whether you're one of those who is more like me this week, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, there's room at the table for you. And it is our prayer that as we come to the table, and as you come to the table, that you will find Christ there. That you will find Christ there. That you will see your creator and know that he loves you. And that you will see that you are made in his image. And that his goodness abides in you. I know sometimes we major in our fallen nature. Let me also remind you that before there was the fall, you were made in God's image and you were good. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so it is our prayer that you find Christ in all those ways this morning. Let's read the invitation together. <clears throat> this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you and it is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.